You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Good to be with you guys this morning. It's a little bit of a different context than what is our, our normal. As I'm sitting here uh, preparing to share our message this morning, I'm, I'm looking out the window in front of me, and uh, I am seeing lots of fluffy white snow falling down. So one of my uh, dreaded fears was that as we, um, as we <laughs> adjusted what we were doing for worship services today, that we'd wake up and discover there's no snow at all and that the forecast wasn't even an issue. Uh, this is, yeah, I see Lisa's comment there. This is a real fireside chat. You see the theme that I was going for. Uh, yeah, John says, the, road, the roads in Langhorn are already pretty bad. Well, I guess it's good that we're not driving on them, so that's, that's good to know. All right, well, let's get underway here. So for the past group of months, we have been looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, it's a a very enjoyable book to read through. It's a very enjoyable book to study through. You can see lots of different topics covered in it. And I thought that since our context today is obviously different than what it normally is, that I would switch things up a little bit and uh, look at something related to what we've been looking at on Wednesday evenings. For the past group of months, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke on Wednesday evenings. And I thought it would be fun this morning to look at a complimentary scripture to something that we've been looking at from the Gospel of Luke. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. So if you're following along with me in your Bibles, we're we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. And we're going to be talking about the things that come into our life and the things that leave our life. So the things that that we're... putting into ourselves or the things that we're investing into ourselves and the things that are coming out of our life as a result. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 today. If we have time, we're going to be looking at the first 20 verses of Matthew chapter 15, but we're going to work our way through this a few verses at a time. So Matthew chapter 15, in just a moment, I'll start us off with verse 1. But before I do, let me have a word of prayer for us. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to study your word together this morning. And we're grateful that we have access to your word. We're grateful for the fact that that you help us to understand and apply your word as your spirit makes your word clear to us. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at this portion of scripture from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and as we look at the things that your son, Jesus Christ, revealed to us in this portion of your word, We pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to receiving it. We pray that we would be encouraged by it, and we pray that our walk with you would deepen as a result of it. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at these things together today. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're in Matthew chapter 15 this morning, and we're starting with verse 1. And what I'm going to do as we work our way through this is I'm going to share a few verses, and then we're going to talk about what those verses are making clear to us. So Matthew 15, starting with verse 1, says this. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. 
And they asked him, Why do your disciples disobey age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, it's an interesting way for this portion of Scripture to open up, but it shows us some of the things that were going on at the particular time that this was taking place, and it shows us some of the characters that are, are uh, going to be appearing in this discussion here in Matthew chapter 15. So the first people that are mentioned in this portion of Scripture are the Pharisees, and you're probably familiar with who the Pharisees were, but in case you aren't, the Pharisees were a religious group, a religious sect, that uh, were operating during the time of Christ's earthly ministry. They were people who were very devoted, at least on the surface, it seemed like they were very devoted to committing the Scripture to mind. They were uh, devoted to proclaiming the Scripture. But one of the things that you could see throughout the Gospels is that they had gotten off track. It very well may be that they had good intentions initially, but this was a group of people who at this point now were really concerned more with externals than internals. So even today as we're talking about what goes into our life and what comes out of our life, they provide a good example of what not to do or the direction not to go in uh, with your life. And here you have a group of Pharisees, and, and it says, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. So you have these Pharisees, you have these teachers. They arrive from Jerusalem. They want to see Jesus in this particular context. And you'll notice throughout the Gospels that, that when they wanted to see Jesus, they were usually curious about what he was doing because they were trying to find something that they could bring accusation against him for. They wanted him to say something that would get himself in trouble. They wanted uh, to, to find some reason for accusation against him because they did not like the attention that he was getting. And they also apparently didn't like the theology that he was expressing, even though his theology is very much correct, uh, him being God in the flesh. But they didn't like it because the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus was doing, it conflicted with what they preferred to think. It conflicted with what they preferred to do. And so they find an area to confront him about in this portion of Scripture. And it says, they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? Why do they disobey our age-old tradition? And this is a tradition that they were being picky about in this moment. They said, for they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. So this is kind of interesting. They're, they're looking at this scenario here, and they're saying, all right, your disciples ignore our tradition, our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing. Well, where did this tradition get its start? Why, did, why were they doing this? Why was this such a big deal to them? Why did they want them to do some ceremonial hand-washing? Well, when you look back into the Old Testament Scriptures, and when you look at some of the requirements that were given to the priests, the priests had a variety of ceremonial tasks that they were expected to do. And one of those tasks, before they, before they were actually completing their duties, or as they were about to, to do the things that they were required to do, involved them ceremonially washing their hands and ceremonially washing their feet. And so you would have, you have the, the Pharisees here looking at that, a requirement that was given to the priests living under the Old Covenant, and they were now saying, well, this should apply to all of us in multiple contexts, not just in the context in which the, uh, the, the priests are required to obey this. And so they started making this, they started treating this like it was a rule for everybody, uh, essentially all the time. And since Jesus and his disciples were not keeping this tradition, they 
confront Jesus about this, and they obviously seem irritated by it. They're, they're not happy with this. They're annoyed that Jesus doesn't seem to be modeling this for his disciples, and he doesn't seem to be encouraging them to, to fulfill this. And so the Pharisees, looking for something to pick at, looking for something to criticize, that, that's where they start criticizing, and that's where they start nitpicking. And so Jesus replies to this. And I want you to notice something about his reply, because the way he would reply frequently to his critics and those that were trying to trip him up in some fashion was not to always answer their question the way they wanted him to answer it. So frequently, he would respond in such a way as to provoke thinking from them. He would try to provoke some introspection from them. So instead of giving them the answer that they were looking for right away, Jesus does a different thing. He asks them a question. So he responds to their question with a question, and he does this all throughout the Gospels. This is something that he frequently does when he's interacting with people like these Pharisees. So when you look at verse 3, it says this. It says, Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? So he's going to give an example of this in just a second, but think about what he says in that verse. He says, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? So he's confront- they're confronting him about not following their traditions. And he confronts them by saying, you are elevating your traditions over the direct teaching of God. You're taking something and you're saying that, that you are uh, uh, ultimately uh, the arbiters of truth, that you are ultimately uh, the ones that, that can say what comes over what God has clearly said. So Jesus says, again, I'll read it again. He says, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? And then he gives an example when you look at verse 4. He says, for instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. So Jesus is talking about some of the very strict and stern requirements in the Old Testament related to how children were to interact with their parents. And Jesus says, all right, so that's what clearly the Old Testament scriptures were telling the people of Israel that they had to follow. But Jesus says, but you're not doing that. Instead, he says, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. And then he's going to share something from Isaiah's book, but I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. But, but he's looking at them, and he's saying, all right, the Word of God clearly says that a child is to honor his parents, a child is to honor her parents in very specific ways. But you're telling people, you don't need to do that. In fact, you're saying of yourself, there are certain things that you have, certain resources that you have, that you're treating as Corbin." or you're treating as something that you don't have to actually use the way that the Lord's given it to you to use. Specifically in their context, instead of taking care of their parents with the resources that they had been blessed with, they were saying, you know what? My resources, my finances, are they're a gift devoted to God. And so I am now freed from my obligation to take care of my parents. What do you think about that? especially those of you that are thinking about the fact that someday it may be nice for your children to participate in taking care of you. Many of you know that, that for 
uh, about five years, my mother, during the last five years of her life, lived with me half the year, and she lived with my sister half the year. And she had gotten to a point where she wasn't able to care for herself and live, for her, uh, live by herself um, just like she had in the past. And so we had a meeting with her, and we sat down with her. I remember it was, I believe it was the day after Easter, uh, five years before she passed away. And I remember sitting uh, down with her at the, the dining room table, and I said, Mom, I think it's time for us to start thinking about a different living arrangement. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you've been living by yourself, but I know that that's getting very difficult for you. And I've already talked about this with my sisters, and we think we've come up with an alternate solution. And I I suggested to her that, and typically I think my role in the family is to be the family spokesperson. I don't know if that means I just talk a lot or or if I'm loud. I'm not sure. But my sisters encouraged me to be the spokesperson representing this here. But I said to her, I said, Mom, why don't you give up your apartment, come live with me half the year, and then live with my sister half the year? Would you think about doing that? And that wasn't something that my mother thought I was about to say to her. And so she was taken back by it. She was a little bit surprised by it. But she gave it some thought. And by the next day, she decided that the plan that we had suggested to her made a lot of sense And for the last five years of her life, she lived with me half the year and lived with my sister half the year. And it was a very good time for everybody. We thoroughly enjoyed having her in our home. My children had the opportunity to have her, uh, have their grandmother right nearby. It was a lot of fun. And uh, my mother was very easy company to her credit. Uh, she, She very much just assimilated herself into our family structure, and and on Monday nights, we would typically all go out as a family to Chick-fil-A, and to my mother's credit, she would frequently treat us all to dinner on Monday night at Chick-fil-A, and it was a lot of fun, and then the other half of the year, she would live with my sister up in northeast Pennsylvania, but it was a nice thing, and I remember at the time, my sisters and I feeling a sense of obligation. Here our mother was during a season of need, and we had the opportunity and the ability to do something to help her. And I remember us just talking about it, and it seemed like a no-brainer in the sense that, okay, very clearly, Scripture makes it clear that we're to take care of our mother in this context, so let's do it. And so we figured out a plan, offered it to her. Thankfully, my mom went along with it, and it was wonderful. You know, I mean, certainly there were times that, that there were challenges, I guess you could say, along the way, but those things, I don't even think about those things because it, it was very minimal. We really did get along and really had a lovely and wonderful time together, and I know that that was a special season for my mother and for my children as well. And I think of that when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, where you have these people, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, who are, whose lives are supposed to be examples for the people of that time. And so people made decisions for their own lives based on the example that these Pharisees were setting. And instead of caring for their own parents when they had the ability to do so, their aged parents, their parents who had need, they decided to just basically say, Mom, Dad, you're on your own because I am so religious and I am so holy that everything I had, resources that I could have given to you, resources that I could have blessed you with, I've decided, you know what, those are gifts devoted to God. And I even think that that was just kind of a cop-out on, that, on their part, because I think in many respects they would look at their own life and they would say, you know, my whole life is a gift devoted to God, and so if I spend this, these resources on myself, I think, in effect, I'm, I'm giving these resources towards something that is a gift to God. And so I think they were trying to justify basically just using their resources for selfish means or for selfish motives, 
instead of helping their parents. And so Jesus confronts them about that. And keep in mind, these were people that had authority and influence in that culture. But Jesus confronts them and he says, you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And he says, in this way, you say, you're saying to people they don't need to honor their parents. And it's kind of interesting because when you look back at the Ten Commandments, what do the Ten Commandments tell us? The one commandment that has a promise with it is the commandment that tells us to honor your father and honor your mother. Honor your father, honor your mother. That's what the commandment says. And, it, and, it, and the promise is that ultimately you'll live a longer life. You'll live longer. Your life will go better if you honor your parents. It's the commandment with a promise, and it's a direct commandment from God. And Jesus here is saying, you're telling people they don't even have to listen to that commandment, and they don't even have to honor their parents. And you're confronting me about your tradition about hand-washing, and yet you tell people, don't honor your parents when you have the opportunity to do so. He's saying to them, it's ridiculous. And I love when he gets confrontational with them about these things, because they weren't used to being confronted. They basically lived in a protected bubble, and they weren't used to being confronted. They weren't used to be con- being confronted with truth. And so he, he goes a little bit further even here in this confrontation when you look at verse 7, because he says, you hypocrites. So again, these were people who loved being honored. Everywhere they went, they just wanted people to speak well of them and to, to give them the nice seats at, at banquets and to praise them in the marketplace. And here you have Jesus. And by the way, there are people that are seeing this take place. So this kind of irritates the Pharisees on an extra special level, right? And he says, you hypocrites. And then he gives them an example here. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, and then he gives an example. He he quotes Isaiah. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Their worship is a farce. They, tre- they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Wow. That's a pretty confrontational statement, <laughs> especially to people that thought that they were the religious big deal of their era. But Jesus here says, listen, you're, you're the very people Isaiah was speaking of when he talked about people who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far away. And I look at that and I think, okay, I always think it's very easy for me when I look at a portion of Scripture like this to amen this when I think that it's talking about somebody else. When I think that this is talking about somebody else's life, it's very easy for me to look at this and just say, amen, absolutely. And then I look at it and I think, all right, now wait a second. I don't think I'm just supposed to amen this and think about other people. I think I'm also supposed to be thinking about myself and doing some self-examination. So I'd encourage you to do this along with me. I think the question we should be asking when we look at a portion of Scripture like this is, all right, do I honor God with my lips and then have a heart that's far from Him? Do I honor God with my lips and then deny Him with my life? Where is our heart? That's what the Scripture's getting at. It's asking us the question, uh, effectively, where is your heart right now? Where is your heart? Is your heart far from the Lord? Or is your heart in tune with what the Lord desires for you? Is your heart in tune with what he wants to see in your life and what he teaches us to value? And he said, Jesus says of those Pharisees, he says, as he's quoting Isaiah here, their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. I was talking to somebody 
not this past week, but the week before. And he was telling me that he grew up in a context where he, he grew up in a very small legalistic church on a farm. And he said it took him a long time into his adult life to realize that God shows us great grace. And because I grew, he said, I, I, I grew up in a context where basically they were elevating man-made ideas and treating them like those were the things that were gospel truth. And he said it made it very hard for me to understand what God was really, what God was really like. And I thought that was interesting as he was saying that. And I wonder how often we accidentally or even intentionally go in that direction with our lives. Do we ever teach man-made ideas and treat them like they're commands of God? Or are we so familiar with the Scriptures that we realize what the Scriptures are actually revealing? And by the grace of God, as we trust in Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit applies the truth of Scripture to our hearts and our lives, we learn what it looks like to have hearts that aren't far from God, but hearts that are close to God. Then Jesus, let me keep reading here, says this when you get to verse 10 of Matthew 15. It says, Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said. So he's calling them near, saying, listen, I want to tell you something. He says, and try to understand. So listen and try to understand. And he, he's, he tells them something very interesting here, and I hope we'll hear it too. He says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. So I'll read it again. He says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And that's something that maybe on one level, when we hear that, we would say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I see what he's getting at. He's getting at a more spiritual reality here. He's talking about something uh, about, you know, deeper level motivation or things like that. But keep in mind the crowd that he's speaking to and keep in mind the context that he's, he's, he's talking to them in. You have these religious leaders here who are focused on ceremonial obligations, and you have a group of people who are raised and trained under the context of, of knowing certain things that the Old Testament teaches. And during the Old Testament era, certain foods were determined to be clean, and certain, fru- certain foods were called unclean. And the Lord called you know, ceremonially clean foods one thing, and and uh, ceremonially unclean foods. He said, all right, these are the things that you're supposed to avoid. And so this is a group of people that has grown up with an understanding that certain foods are ceremonially clean and acceptable to eat, and other foods are ceremonially unclean and unacceptable to eat. And so for Jesus to say, and I'll read it again, he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth, This would puzzle this group of people, and in fact, in just a second, you're going to see that it puzzles the disciples, too, because they're wondering, well, what do you mean? You know, it it clearly tells us in the scriptures that, that certain foods are ceremonially unclean. So wouldn't we be defiling ourselves by what we eat? But Jesus was now helping them to understand the purpose of that kind of Old Testament regulation. That was something that was meant to illustrate the holiness of God. That was something that was meant to to help people to understand that there was a difference between God and what it means to be clean and what it means to be unclean. It was a visible illustration. It was something that they were encouraged to practice and remember. And it was ultimately something that was going to point their hearts 
to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, when he came to this earth, he came ultimately as one who would be the sinless, atoning sacrifice for our sin. And our lives, ultimately, apart from Christ's intervention, were unclean before God. We were defiled. Our hearts were defiled. But Jesus came to atone for our sin so that we could be cleansed by his blood and ultimately come before the Father as men and women who are made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made righteous. We are given the gift of righteousness that Jesus Christ himself gives to us, that Jesus Christ ultimately paid for on our behalf. And so Jesus is trying to transform their thinking and helping them to understand that he is now here to fulfill the requirements of the Old Testament law. And the way that they used to think needs to be flipped on its head. It's no longer going to be an issue of clean foods and unclean foods because he was here now to fulfill that requirement. He was here to fulfill that imagery. And ultimately, he was going to cleanse all who would trust in him as he atoned for their sin on the cross. And so Jesus goes on a little bit further here. Well, first, the disciples come to him and they want to ask about this. When you look at verse 12, it says, Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? <laughs> I get a big kick out of that. Do you realize that you, that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? What do you think? Did Jesus realize that he had offended the Pharisees by what he had just said? Of course he knew he had, had offended them. I think that that was his intent. He was trying to jostle them. He was trying to help them to see things that they weren't seeing. And so the disciples come to him, do you realize you offended them? It's like, yeah, no kidding, I offended them. I was trying to offend them. I, and by the way, I think the gospel offends us all before it heals us. It points out our error. It points out our sin and then shows us that Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the remedy. So I don't think I'm ultimately going to value what Jesus is going to do for me, what he's willing to do for me in cleansing me of my sin if I don't first admit that I'm someone who struggles with sin. And so Jesus offends us for our good so that he could heal us with the truth of, of his gospel, with ultimately his intervention in our lives. But the Pharisees are offended. The disciples are concerned about this. And Jesus says in verse 13, he says, and he's speaking of the Pharisees here, but he's also speaking broader. He says, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So he's saying of these Pharisees that they're worried, hey, you offended the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, every plant that my Father hasn't planted is going to be uprooted. So these people who think that they have authority, these people who think that they have influence, right now they feel so firmly planted, and I'm telling you now, they're going to be uprooted. And think about this. There you have this group of people who they seem to live for their good reputation in that era. And for generation after generation after generation, when we as Christians throughout the world speak of Pharisees, do we speak of them positively or do we speak of them negatively? For generations, they have been thought of poorly. They idolize their reputation. Their reputation has been uprooted. And for generations, we have thought of them poorly because they opposed the Messiah when he was right there in front of them. But Jesus says, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So ignore them. <laughs> so ignore them. Ignore their teaching. They're going to be uprooted. And then he goes on to say, he says, they are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. So he calls the, the Pharisees blind guides. Well, what does he mean? There's a couple ways that they were blind guides. 
First of all, they were blind to the truth of the gospel. They didn't understand it. They were also blind to their own hypocrisy. They're not seeing how blatantly hypocrisy or, or, or how, how blatantly hypocritical it was for them to tell people to dr- just, just openly disobey a command of God happened to be. They didn't see that it was hypocritical to elevate their own traditions over the teaching of Scripture. And now they were leading other people in their blindness. They were leading other people away from the truth and toward deception. And so Jesus says, ignore them. Ignore them. Your task in regard to those Pharisees is ignore them. Don't worry about whether or not my words offended them. Ignore them because they're blind guides. They're going to be uprooted. And then Peter, who tends to be... So I mentioned earlier that in my, among my siblings, I tend to be the one that they ask to be our family spokesperson at times, which is fine. Usually they give me the task of saying the awkward thing, whatever the awkward thing is. So the guy among the disciples that typically would get that task was Peter. And Peter sometimes didn't even need to be given the task. He would sometimes just do it. And it says, when you get to verse 15, it says, Then Peter said to Jesus. So again, Peter's always, he always seems to be the one who, who speaks up. And and most of the time in the Gospels, he ends up putting his foot in his mouth when he does it. But it says, Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. He's confused by this. He's like, how can people not be defiled by what they eat? By the way, lately I have been thinking a lot about what I eat because I have a bad habit of overeating. But I will tell you I'm giving myself a free pass today. And I will also tell you that my wife is in, she, she helps me eat well all throughout the week, but today she's helping me eat poorly because the other day she said, she sent a text to our whole family and she said this, I'm going to the grocery store to pick up snacks for the Super Bowl. Let me know if there's anything in particular you want me to grab. And people gave her their suggestions and I didn't say anything, but she knows me so well that she came home with something that I love to eat, something I love to put in my body that I really shouldn't do too much. And I haven't done it in a while, but I'm definitely going to do it today. And I've actually got it right here. And I feel like I should get paid for these product placements, but (laughs) I'm just telling you, I like this. I don't know if you're familiar with these. Let me put it in front of the camera. Those of you listening on the podcast, I know you can't see it. So let me just crinkle it for the microphone. This is my favorite kind of potato chip, Middlesworth barbecue. She even got the kettle cooked. Middlesworth Barbecue, the big bag. They call it the Weekender. And I saw this on our dining room table, and I thought, oh, I can't wait to eat this entire bag. Maybe not the entire bag, but certainly plenty of it. During the Super Bowl this evening. I'm looking forward to it. It's one of my favorite things to snack on. So I certainly try to think about what goes into my body. Sometimes I fail miserably. Lately, I've been doing really well, but i got to tell you, again, today, I'm not going to do so well because I've got that bag of chips here in the house. I've even been avoiding potato products lately, too, just uh, kind of as an act of discipline. But I'm throwing it all aside for one special day. (laughs) But here you have Peter saying, you know, explain this parable. What do you mean people aren't defiled by what they eat? And I want us to think about this even as we prepare to finish up today. Because Jesus wants them to understand that he's trying to get at deeper heart-level issues. And he says, don't you understand yet? And I'll just pause there for a second, because when you think about it, they've been with Jesus for a while at this point now. They've been traveling around with him. They've been hearing him teach. 
They've been seeing the things that he's doing. He says, don't you understand yet? It's kind of like, don't you understand what I'm getting at? Don't you understand the big point? So I'll read it again. He says, don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. And he says it this way. He gives them this analogy. He says, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. So anything you eat, it passes through the stomach, then it goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. But the words you speak come from the heart, that's what defiles you. And then he gives some examples here of that. Well, even before I get into the examples, think about what he's saying. It's not the food that you eat that defiles you. He's ultimately getting at the fact that that was an illustration meant to prove a greater point. It's not the food that you eat that defiles you. It's not what goes into the body that defiles you. It's what comes out of the body. It's not, he's saying it's what comes out of your life that shows what's going on in your heart. The heart issues that you're dealing with are demonstrated by what comes out of the body. That's what defiles you. And then he gives some examples. And by the way, these examples that he gives us, these are things that we all struggle with to one degree or another. But he says, for from the heart come evil thoughts. So he starts off with that. For from the heart come evil thoughts. Well, can any one of us say that we have not had evil thoughts about something or someone? I don't think any of us can say we haven't, because we certainly have. There are people in your life and my life who have offended us deeply, who have hurt us in ways that we don't even like to think about. And sometimes we think that it's our uh, responsibility to take vengeance on them. And sometimes we think evil thoughts toward other people. Sometimes we're just judgmental toward other people in an unhealthy, unwise, and ungodly way. And he says, for from the heart come evil thoughts. And then he also says this, for from the heart comes murder. Well, I don't know if anyone joining our live stream today feels like that's something that you wrestle with. But it's interesting, when you look at Christ's Sermon on the Mount, you may not have ever physically murdered somebody, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that hatred in the heart is the seed, it's the root of murder, that that's where murder starts. So if you've ever hated somebody, the seed of murder has been in your heart. It's been there. And you would say, oh, I'm not guilty of murdering anyone. It's like, really? You're guilty of the first step of murder? Anger. How about this? Adultery. That's the next thing that he lists unfaithfulness in the context of your marriage. And again, he's talking about not just physical issues, but also mental issues, heart issues, lusting, all of those things. He's saying from the heart, these things show up. And then he goes on and he, and he kind of puts that umbrella statement. And this is something for our culture to, to hear really, really thoroughly. He says, all sexual immorality. I, I have to tell you, that's something that I have become convinced is... That's the dominant vice of our age. You have people basically defining their whole lives over issues related to sexual immorality. Their entertainment choices, the way in which they choose to live, the things that they value, the things that they joke about. All sexual immorality. Jesus is saying, this is stuff coming from your heart. And it's not healthy. It's not wise. Gives a few other examples. Theft. Lying slander, on and on. He's saying these are things that in our hearts we demonstrate what's really going on in our lives by what comes out of our life. And he lists those things. He gives those examples here. He says, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. 
So as we finish up this morning, I want you to think about a few things. I want you to begin thinking about what's coming into your life. And then I also want you to think about what's coming out of your life. So what do you feed your life with? Is your life being fed through the the intervention of the Spirit of God? Are you being fed the Word of God? Is your heart close to God? Are you nourished on the truth of the gospel? Are you surrounding yourself with influences that point you to Jesus? Or are you surrounding yourself and feeding your mind and feeding your heart all sorts of influences that, that point you away from Jesus? What's coming into your life? What's coming into your mind? And then what's coming out of your life? It'll show what's going on in your heart. What's coming out of your life will show what's going on in your heart. So Jesus gives us some big examples here. Are any of these things in, a, in some sort of dominant way coming out of your heart or coming out of your life? Because if so, this isn't so much an issue of starting with trying to change your behavior. I mean, certainly, yeah, it's great to change your behavior. If you're somebody that's been thieving, right, if you've been stealing, yeah, I'd encourage you to change your behavior. If you've been lying, if you've been committing slander, I'd, yeah, definitely change your behavior. But you, got, you actually have to go one level deeper, even before I think behavior is going to change. I think our behavior changes when our beliefs change, when our heart changes. So if you're seeing these things come out of your life, I want you to be wrestling with where your heart happens to be. Is your heart close to the Lord or is your heart distant from the Lord? Is Christ Lord of your heart or is Christ someone you know about, but you don't want him to get too close because he might make some requests of you that you're not ready for him to make? Do you want him to be Lord of your life, or are you just kind of curious about him because he's a good teacher? You're kind of just curious about some of the things he says because it's good advice. Or do you actually want him to be calling the shots in your life? Is your heart close to him, or is your heart distant from him? This is what Jesus is inviting us to wrestle with. What comes into our life and what comes out of our life is going to demonstrate what our hearts are valuing. And if your heart values Jesus you're going to want more of him. And you're going to submit your heart over to him. And the Spirit of God is going to bring fruit from your life that's going to be a blessing not only to you, not only to you but to those who interact with you. And you're going, you're going to be used of God as an ambassador of his that just spreads the fragrance of Christ wherever you go. And you may even find that people who don't even directly share your beliefs are going to take a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure in spending time with you because you're reflecting the heart of Christ. And this is something that Christ is encouraging his disciples to do. He's also confronting the Pharisees about this. But I think it's also something that we should very much take to heart. Christ is asking us to look deep within and wrestle with what's going on in our heart. What do we value? Are we close to him or are our hearts far from him? And I'd encourage us today to just be people who live with hearts that are close to Christ, trusting him completely, because ultimately he is Lord, and he deserves to be the one calling the shots in our lives. He deserves to be the one who's guiding and directing us, and I can promise you this. This isn't just a, like, a platitude or just a thought. I can promise you that if you fully submit your heart over to Jesus Christ, you won't regret it. He's going to do things in your life that will surprise you. He's going to comfort you in ways through His Spirit that will astonish you. 
He's going to lead your life in a direction that is the opposite of what this world is trying to lead it in. And you're going to experience a much better life, not only now, but forever, because you'll have the confidence, of joy, and the confidence and joy of having Christ right there present with you. And he does make a difference. So those are my thoughts for us today as we look at this portion of Scripture together. I hope it's a portion of Scripture that encourages your heart, because it's certainly a portion of Scripture that encourages mine. And I certainly appreciate the ways in which Jesus is lovingly confrontational in it. Where are our hearts? Are our hearts close to Christ, or are we still distant from Him? If you're distant from Him today, I'd encourage you to submit your heart over to Him and welcome Him to be Lord of your life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture together like this today on a snowy Sunday morning where normally we have the opportunity to be face-to-face But today we get to do things a little bit differently as we watch the snow come down, and it's certainly beautiful outside, but at the same time, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to just utilize the technology that you have given to us to be able to spend some time looking at your word. And as we look at this portion of Scripture, Lord, we see the things that you're confronting us about. And some of these things are probably very comfortable for us to wrestle with because we think, all right, that's an area of life I feel like I've got mastered. But then other things that you bring up in this portion of Scripture probably feel a bit confrontational, maybe even to the degree that the Pharisees felt confronted. Maybe we're even saying to ourselves, hey, that's kind of offensive. But Lord, we pray that if you're jostling us with any of the things that you said in this portion of your word, we pray that we would be jostled out of our position of complacency and that you would prod us to to ultimately move toward you, that as you're speaking to our hearts, that you would draw us unto yourself by the power of your Spirit, and that we would know you, that we would welcome the fact that you atoned for our sin on the cross, that we would experience the cleansing of of our sin that is provided through the shedding of your blood, that we would walk as men and women who are made holy in your sight, that we would receive the gift of your righteousness by faith, and that we would just walk with joy in every context that you place us in. Lord, we're just so grateful for this reminder from your word. We're grateful for what you taught your disciples and what you're teaching us right now. And we pray that we would learn to walk with you daily, that we would have hearts that are close to you, and that if we've been running from you, that today would be the day that we draw a line and say, okay, that was my life prior to this moment, but that's not going to be my life any longer. We pray that we would walk with you closely today, that you would guide and direct our hearts and our minds and our lives, and that we would stop fighting you, but that we would walk with you, and that we would submit ourselves over to you and rejoice in your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things, and thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith. But I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, 
addiction, and so much more. Don't worry. Your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus. So ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.